Hey everybody, welcome to the Export. I am Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm interested to know. Are you have you already voted for the Pro Bowl? <laughs> See, normally I don't That's fair. Normally I don't really care about the Pro Bowl, and we'll get to it a little bit later in our game believable buffoonery. But like this year I do kind of care because I hope that it's new people in the flag football game or whatever instead of just seeing the same old faces so I can't say I'm gonna watch it but I'm excited to see who ends up making I think the last time I checked Tua Tagovailoa was the leading vote getter but I don't know how long that's gonna last but uh speaking of Tua Tagovailoa we have a chance to look at the current playoff picture and discuss which teams do we feel have a chance of dropping out of their spots as well as the teams that have a chance of clinching their playoff spots we are going to discuss whether or not Brock Purdy can lead the 49ers to success. And then with regards to the NBA, we're going to look at some of the recent trade rumors as well as decide if it is official that Jason Tatum is a better player than Kevin Durant. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net or p.export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Three episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled the X report. So for this week's college football player spotlight, instead of picking a draft prospect and a potential team, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And we are going to look at the 2022 Heisman finalists and pick which player we think deserves the honor. The nominees are Caleb Williams, quarterback for USC, Max Duggan, quarterback for TCU, CJ Stroud, quarterback for Ohio State, and then Stetson Benson, quarterback for Georgia. Now, Ethan, I don't know how much college football you've been able to watch, but of these four guys, which one do you think is more deserving of the honor? Um, I haven't had the opportunity to watch that much college football, but out of the names listed and out of what I know about this current season, I'm personally going to say Max Douglas. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he has TCU, they're what, like 13 and 1? Yeah, 12 and 1. Yeah, so everyone and like Grand Spencer beating, he's a good quarterback. He showed great improvement and development over his last season in Georgia. Um, CJ Stroud did great things for Ohio State. Um, Caleb Williams did great things for USC. But to me, to have the record that he has at a school like TCU, that's a major accomplishment. So I'll go with Max. Uh, for me, it's hard. For a long time, I was kind of banging the drum on C.J. Stroud just because of what he's been able to accomplish. But then you also got to realize, I mean, he has more weapons around him than arguably any other quarterback in the nation. I don't – so I think I'd possibly go Caleb Williams. I know this last loss to Utah hurts. But, I mean, even still, <clears throat> he was having a really good year. And I think that with the addition of him and Lincoln Riley and, of course, Jordan Addison, it really helped to – turn that um turn that program on its head and so even though I don't necessarily love any candidate this year I do think that if I had to give it to someone it might be Caleb Williams just because he was able to do so much in his first year with the new program but speaking of uh doing a lot let's look back at week 13 uh, because quite a few things took place. First off, Thursday night football, the Buffalo Bills defeated the New England Patriots 24-10. The Lions destroyed the Jags 40-14. My Baltimore Ravens survived by the skin of their teeth against the Denver Broncos 10-9. 
A.J. Brown got his revenge against the Titans, winning 35-10. to uh, The Packers continue to own the Bears, 28-19. to Cleveland Browns win in Deshaun Watson's rusty debut, 27-14. to Vikings survive against the Jets, 27-22. to uh, Steelers won a close one against the Falcons, 19-16. Watching the Commanders and New York Giants tie at 20. 49ers stop the Dolphins, 33-17. Uh, Seahawks survive against the Rams 27-23. Uh, Raiders put on a show against the Chargers 27-20. Bengals win a AFC Championship rematch 27-24 over the Chiefs. Uh, Sunday Night Football, a 33-point fourth quarter helps push the Cowboys out in front of the Colts 54-19. And Tom Brady makes a miraculous comeback winning drive. Uh, to beat the Saints 17-16 on Monday Night Football. I finished the week 11-4. Ethan, you went a solid 9-6. And, and unfortunately, there is quite a bit of energy, injury news to get into. Washington loses linebacker Cole Holcomb after he has season-ending foot surgery. A Browns lose starting linebacker Sion Takitaki with a torn ACL. Eagles place defensive end Robert Quinn on IR if he suffered a twisted knee. Jimmy G is out for the next seven to eight weeks, but more than likely possibly the rest of the season after suffering a foot injury. After it was announced that um, originally that Von Miller was just going to be placed on IR, it's official that he has suffered a torn ACL. So he is going to be out for the rest of the year. And then Lamar Jackson is out for the next one to three weeks with a PCL sprain. So I know that these are two very different players and very, very different roles on their teams, but for the foreseeable future, Von Miller out with that torn ACL, Lamar Jackson out for at least the next couple of weeks with the PCL sprain. Coming down the stretch of the season, which loss do you think is going to be bigger? Um, It's definitely going to be Von Miller. For one, just the amount of time. Like, Lamar's going to miss from what it sounds like, maybe a week or two at most. And granted, they're in the tight playoff race in their division. But I think with um, Vaughn, it's one of those things to where we we saw, especially in that first, the very first game of the season against the um, against the Rams, where we know um, as long as Josh Allen is healthy, we know that their offense is going to put up numbers. And we know that their defense is really good. But the thing that their defense missed last season and which they got with Vaughn up until he got hurt was they had they have an elite pass rush so they can close out games. Um and with Vaughn gone, to me, their road to the playoffs is about to get significantly more difficult simply because now when you need someone to make a big play from a pass rushing standpoint, they really don't have like a go to guy with Vaughn being hurt. And that's something that can cost you throughout the course of the playoffs. For right now, I will say, for the time being, I'm going to say not having Lamar. As you mentioned, it is a very close race right now between them and the Bengals, both at 8-4. and four. Right now, Baltimore is ahead of them because they did win the head-to-head and have a better divisional record. But, I mean, down the stretch, these next three games are pivotal. I'm not saying that Baltimore has to win the next three to win the division, but it's going to be really imperative that they do, especially because the Bengals have looked so hot as of late. But down the stretch, like once we get to the playoffs, I do think the lack of having Von Miller is going to be a big key because – Everybody watched that divisional round game between the Chiefs and the Bills. Why was uh, 
Patrick Mahomes so easily and able to run through that defense, the Bills defense, I mean, it's because they had no pass rush. And we've recently seen that without Von Miller, that pass rush is practically non-existent. So I think in the playoffs, they're going to be in a lot more uh, shootout games as opposed to blowouts like they were early in the year because they're not generating that same pressure. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our top takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can start us off with your number five. Number five, um, going to talk about a very familiar name that's associated on this show. I'm going to talk about Mike something. Um, I think he, for what he's had to deal with as far as the deficiency in talent, and he's quite honest that he's best player in TJ Watt missing a multitude of games this season. I think he's still shown that he is one of the better coaches in the NFL. Um, Granted, I understand right now he has a losing record, but you can very well look up and see within two weeks the Steelers will be 500. And yes, I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but it still just kind of shows the the moxie and the overall swag that Coach T has as a coach. And I just kind of have to give him his flowers because I know nobody, nobody else is talking about it. I respect that. I'm going to go take mine to Tampa, and that's, while the Bucks' latest game-winning drive was historic, you can't count on winning more games like that. I get it. Divisional games are always going to be tough, especially when it comes to the Saints and Bucks. Those games are always slobber knockers in the words of JR, um, no matter what the other team's record is. However, if you are a team like the Buccaneers, led by most widely considered the GOAT, Tom Brady, you have to be better. And especially because you're going to start going up against tougher teams. Like, for example, they got the 49ers this week. And if they make the playoffs going up against tougher teams like that, the Bucks have to find a way to start imposing their will. They have too much offensive firepower to be this stagnant. So I want to see them kind of get a jump start, especially going into the last month of the year. Um, for me, my number four is the Hyde that is known as Trevor Lawrence. Um, Last week, we gave Trevor Lawrence high praise because he looked like that number one draft pick that we thought that he was going to be the minute he got drafted to the Jaguars um, last season. But then you fast forward to this week in the game against the Lions, and he had a lackluster performance. He was 17 for 31 for just 179 yards and one touchdown. And he, that's why I said he's, Jekyll and Hyde because he can put up some really great numbers and have you think like, okay, he's a break he's about to break out of there that shell and then a week later he look you look at him and it's like again it's a live team that is better than a lot of people give them credit for. But when you have a true number one quarterback, you're not gonna lose fourteen or forty to the Lions, regardless of how good they are. Yeah. Um so yeah, I gotta I gotta kinda put a bad light on Trevor Lawrence. Especially because their defense really has not been able to stop anybody. And like you mentioned, like with how the way the Jags played against my Ravens, I mean you would think that they would just be able to replicate that performance. And they absolutely did not do that. Uh, my number four, I'm talking about another I don't even know if I call him Jekyll and Hyde because he's just been a lot of Hyde this year. And that's Matt Ryan. And I think it's time for him to go back on the bench. I mean, this last well, latest loss against the 
Cowboys. I don't think many people expected them to win that game anyway, but still, his performance was bad, and it's been bad pretty much this whole year. He's had three picks. I believe he also lost a fumble. Yes, he lost a fumble as well, was getting sacked multiple times, had a hard time finding his receivers. I mean, I understand when initially it was announced that Sam Ellinger was going to take over as a starting quarterback role. It was kind of surprising just because it was still like midway through the season and the Colts still technically had time to do better. But 13 weeks in, I think it's pretty apparent that Matt Ryan is not the guy. And I think that right now, I'm not saying the Colts should necessarily tank, but I think it's about time they weigh their options and try to see, look, take a deep dive into the quarterbacks who are going to be available in this year's draft class because Matt Ryan is clearly not the answer, and I think it's best time for him to go on the bench. Um, My number three, if Texas and Aaron Rodgers on the Chicago Bears, nope. um, he didn't have that great of a performance statistically. Like, he was 18 for 31, 182 in a touchdown. But he's shown that regardless of how good the Bears have been in the past and how they've shown flashes like this season, for whatever reason, the Chicago Bears just can't figure out a way to beat them. And it's just funny because he, he, it, he makes it more entertaining because he'll say stuff like, yeah, Chicago is my home away from home. I have, I'm like, just all the random crap talk that he talks. So... I just thought that would be interesting because a part of me thought that this was going to the year, the game where Chicago was going to be able to get over there home and finally beat A-Rod, but I guess not. They were up early. They had a double-digit lead for most of the second half, but then, you know, they choked. Speaking of choking, though, my takeaway is actually from that same game, and it's Dustin Fields is running like crazy, but who cares if he's not making his team better? Right now – uh, Justin Fields is on pace to have the most rushing yards in a season by a quarterback. That's great. However, the Bears have still been very, very bad. Um, right now, they have a 3-10 and 10 record, which one loss, the Jets lost, you can't really put on him because he didn't play. But, I mean, still, they've lost six straight games. And, mind you, during this same span, he's been going on that rushing tear. And while everybody's probably going to say, oh, well, they traded away their best defensive players and, oh, they don't have any weapons, blah, blah, blah. Still, if I don't, I'm sure you might not have watched any of that game, but coming down the stretch, he had two costly interceptions, which helped the Packers not only get back on top, but stay on top. And like I said, the rushing numbers are great. I mean, he had a big rushing touchdown. That's all fine and dandy, but I think that we need to start looking at Justin Fields. I'm like, okay, you can run the ball. That's great, but how are you making your team better? Because right now, I don't see that happening. Yeah, my number, my number two, um, and if we're going to be talking about a guy that neither one of us are fans of, but Deshaun Watson looked terrible. He looked like a guy that hadn't stepped on the NFL field in over two years. And like me and you are both stating, I have no issues with this, but it's one of those situations to where this is one of those decisions from the Cleveland Browns that always makes people say, well, the Browns are going to be the Browns. Because when you look at this roster, especially on the offensive side of the football, you have some really, really good pieces. You have Mitchell, who is a top three running back in the NFL. You have Amari Cooper, who's shown that he can be a number one. You have David Njoku. Yes, he's inconsistent, but he can be a productive tight end. The only thing that you've lacked so far, it's been a quarterback. And 
you made a move for Deshaun Watson, um, which at the time before all of the um, masseuse issues and legal issues came up, we thought it was a great move. But once they popped up and then you got to a fully guaranteed contract, you essentially signed yourself to him for a handful of years because you can't just up and cut them. And I think the this, that was a bad move by the Browns and he's shown on the field because he just looked bad and yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, he looks exactly as you would expect a quarterback who hasn't played in almost two years to look. Like, he was rusty. His passes were rough. Like, he showed a little bit of that escapability, but, I mean, even when he had time to throw, it wasn't pretty. I mean, he had virtually no impact on the offense. It was it was ugly. So, we'll see how it all goes. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's – of course, looking back, it was a terrible decision. More than anything, I think that you sign – you trade for him, okay. But I'll always say the contract is what really makes it look the worst. You give him the most guaranteed money of any quarterback right after all of these allegations come out. Like, it just seems like a major slap in the face to the women who are accusing him and just people in general who've been through those different experiences with sexual misconduct because it's like, I'm going to reward you for your bad behavior. I understand you want to outbid the Saints, you want to outbid the Falcons, whatever. But no, that contract is all the worst part of any of this. And like I told a friend of mine who's a Browns fan, if you don't get at least a trip to the uh, one trip to the Super Bowl out of this it's going to be bad. It's going to look like one of the worst if not the worst deal in NFL history. Um moving on to a deal that you and I both kind of questioned at the time of Von Miller. Let's be honest throughout the when he was on the field, he definitely played up and lived up to those expectations. And so, like I kind of mentioned when we talked about the interview, I mean I interviewed the injuries the loss of Von Miller is already being felt on the Bills. They had no sacks this past week against the Patriots, which has an offensive line that isn't great. And, I mean, they had a few sacks, uh, mostly from the interior, more specifically Ed Oliver, when they played the Lions on Thanksgiving. But I just think that, like I said, down the stretch, not being able to get that pressure consistently is going to really hurt Buffalo. Yeah, I agree. Um, and my number one, you probably know where I'm going with these, but – A.J. Brown was the nail in the coffin for the Titans GM. Um, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but to go, I was listening to a podcast and they were saying, like, hey, we understand that you trade A.J. Brown. We kind of get it. You didn't want to pay him the money. But don't trade him to somebody that you play on the schedule, at least for this season. And you traded him to the Eagles. He's on the schedule. He admitted that he circled circled this game at the beginning of the season, and he went off. And you paired that up with some very questionable draft picks and free agent signings. Um, and you see that game, and it's like, yeah, I I completely under. It was a surprise, but I completely understood why he was fired. Yeah, for sure. When you really look at it, I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to go against the decision. Um, my number one, whether it be Lamar Jackson or Tyler Hundley under center, I am worried about the Ravens' offense. I love Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is my guy. Coming into the year, I believe he was the second-best tight end in football. Even now, I don't think he's any worse than top three. But with that being said, the fact that we only had 10 points 
against the against the Broncos and a touchdown came in literally the last minute of the game we have to be better our run game has been an absolute non-factor when Lamar Jackson has not been involved and sure you can put in that you know Gus Edwards hasn't been healthy J.K. Dobbins hasn't been healthy whatever the receiving game has had some moments Deshaun Jackson has been okay Demarcus Robinson has looked good in moments but not having Rashad Bateman has been a big blow. I mean, even with the injury concerns in check, you prepare for this. You create depth for this. Everybody talks about how the Ravens don't have a weapon. The Ravens don't have this. The Ravens don't have that. And yet, because we have Lamar Jackson, it kind of covers up those flaws. Well, what happens when our offense, when Lamar isn't covering up those flaws? We have games like we had this past weekend against the Broncos. We have games like we did it where we barely survived um, against, who was that? The Panthers, where we scored 13 points. Sure, the Jags game was an outlier, but still. I'm worried about this offense. I know it's too late to make a big move, but I need somebody, and I mean anybody, to step up because even if Baltimore makes the playoffs, I don't trust that this offense is going to be able to get us far. Love them, though. All right, let's move on to a more positive note, though. Our most impressive players of the week. Starting for me offensively, this isn't even me being biased, but I got to go Joe Burrow, mainly because of one play. Ethan, did you watch any of that Chiefs and Bengals game? I didn't. Okay. So that was a play with like less than a minute and a half left in the game. I think it was like, no. So I'm like, it wasn't that much time left. And Joe Burrow was facing a third and 11. Obviously, the Chiefs are going to bring pressure. They're going to try to rattle him. Hike the ball. Literally, a man is right in his face. What does he do? Throws the ball to, I believe it was Tyler Boyd for the first down. They win the game. And it's moments like that that makes me hype up Joe Burrow and talk about how cold-blooded he is because he easily could have took a sack. He easily could have got rattled. Instead, boom, gets the first down, wins the game. That's a bad mofo. And also, he had 332 yards of scrimmage, three touchdowns, and no t t uh, turnovers. Bad man right there, so I got to go Joey B. Yeah, um, we in the Greens. My player of the week is also Joe Burrow. Um, like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the game, but I watched highlights, and he put on the show. Um, and he came out the dub against a really good Kansas City team. So I got to go with Joe Cool. Feel that? Defensively, I'm going linebacker Bobby Wagner. And it's crazy because I don't think either of us have really talked about Bobby Wagner since he signed with the Rams. And sure, the Rams are bad, but I mean – Bobby Wagner, in my opinion, is a future Hall of Famer. He deserves more credit. And this past Sunday showed why. Against his former team, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, he had seven tackles, two sacks, and a pick where he literally just ripped the ball away from the Seahawks running back. I hate that Bobby Wagner is on a losing team right now, but he's still so much fun to watch play. Um, My my highlight is another guy that we haven't talked about much since he's been on another team. If defensive end Chandler Jones, that man had three stacks, six tackles, two tackles for loss, and a pass breakup. And like that's look that's the stat line that we used to seeing from Chandler Jones when he was in Arizona. So I gotta show him some love. Yeah, it's good to see him come back to life, especially because I was on his head last week when comparing him to Yannick Ngakwe. The most disappointing player is Tua Tungabaloa. You and I both mentioned he was the offensive player we were watching 
going into last weekend's game just because we knew he was going up against a tough defensive front. And it showed. I mean, he had a rough game. Aside from that first uh, touchdown pass to start the game, I mean, he was really stagnant in the first half, ended up getting sacked three times, completed 18 of his 33 passes, and also threw two picks. So I was disappointed to see Tua not step up in that moment. Yeah, I'm also in agreement. Uh, I'm disappointed in Tua because, like you said, it's a big game. Especially from the standpoint of Mike McDaniels being the head coach of the Dolphins and playing against his former team. Like, that's a game where you typically see um, the opposing team come in and they're juiced up, and he just didn't have it. And so I got to go to it as well. All right, and then my rookie of the week, we're probably going to disagree, but I got Packers wide receiver Christian Watson. It was tough going between him and Garrett Wilson, but the reason I went with Watson is A, because he won his game, B, because he scored two touchdowns, and that last touchdown is what helped give the Packers the lead over the Bears and keep it. And, I mean, C, I mean, he's just been a touchdown machine this past month or so, so I'm going to show some love to Christian Watson. Oh, uh, for me... I'm going to show some love to the guy that we're going to talk about. I'm going to show some love to Brock Purdy. Um, he came in after Jimmy G went out, and he didn't do anything spectacular, but he did make winning plays. Like, he was 25 for 37 for 210, two touchdowns, and one interception. And in the in the grand scheme of things, when you look at this stat line, it's like, that's not really that good. But when you look at the fact that he did it, basically just coming fresh off the bench, being the guy that nobody heard of because he was Mr. Irrelevant, I, I got to show him some love for this type of performance. Yeah, for sure, especially because I know I rag on the Dolphins' defense or not, but, I mean, that game easily could have ended up being a shootout, had two win code, really got themselves going. So the way that he was able to stay composed, I got to give him a lot of credit for that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to looking at the current playoff picture. As it stands, let's start with the AFC. Right now, the Buffalo Bills hold that number one seed, a.k.a. the bye in the wild card round. And here are the next matchups. The number two seed, Kansas City Chiefs, would face the number seven seed, New York Jets. The number three seed, Baltimore Ravens, would face the number six seed, Miami Dolphins. And the number four seed, Tennessee Titans, would once again face the number five seed, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Ethan, of these AFC matchups, which one do you think, do you find the most interesting? Uh, can you repeat it one more time? Uh, it would be Chiefs versus Jets, Ravens versus Dolphins, Titans versus Bengals. I didn't see the Titans or Bengals. Um, taking away like my, my body is towards the Titans being a fan. But seeing this how they play, the Bengals ended ended the Titans season last year in the playoffs when they were the number one seed. They came and played again this season in the game that was highly anticipated. And the Bengals also won. So they kind of got like some recent beef. And I think that will be the most exciting game. Because also the class of styles of like Joe Burrow being Mr. Ice in his vein and slaying the beast. And, and then you have me I'm I'm putting my bias in it I got the Ravens and Dolphins I didn't forget that game week two I'm probably never gonna forget that game week two just because it pissed me off so bad that our defense absolutely choked in this fourth quarter 
And now our defense has been playing so much better with the addition of Roquan Smith. Marcus Williams is going to be coming back soon. I'm very excited to see our new look defense and our much better and more balanced defense go up against this offense because I'd like to believe we wouldn't get embarrassed like that again in the final quarter. So I want my I want my revenge. Um, and also, just I want to see what Lamar and Co. can do against this defense. We did a nice job first time around, but I want us to do it again. All right, looking at the NFC side of things, like I said, the Eagles would have a bye, and the matchups would be the Vikings versus Seahawks, 49ers versus Giants, and Bucks versus Cowboys. Um, the most interesting matchup in my mind would be Bucks versus Cowboys. And the reason being is very like you kind of stated with the Ravens. Earlier this season, we all remember when every, when all the hype was going towards the Cowboys early in the season. I think it was game week one, game yeah, one. Yeah, against the Bucks. Yeah. The, the Bucks destroyed them and made them embarrassed them on national television. I think the only person that, from the Cowboys side of it that had any kind of like success in their game was Michael Parsons. So I think, and then you just have the interesting aspect of it's like, is this going to be Tom Brady's last run um, in the playoffs? So I would have to say Bucks versus Cowboys. This one is a bit tougher for me, but I think I would go Vikings versus Seahawks. I think these are two high-powered offenses with great um, run games, great receiving cores. I mean, with just above average quarterbacks but they make it work because of the weapons around them i think that it would be a scoring fest um and plus i mean it'd be cool i think with geno smith i mean the way he's been performing i mean like he said they wrote him off but he didn't write back and i think it'll be interesting to see how he would handle that situation because if i'm not mistaken i think that'd be his first career playoff start yeah i'm pretty sure it is and then, I mean, for the Vikings, I mean, they haven't had a lot of success with Kirk Cousins in the playoffs. So I think this would be a perfect chance to kind of make that statement um, and be able to show that they do belong. But all right, so before we move on from the playoff picture, three teams this weekend have a chance to solidify and clinch their playoff spots. We have the Kansas City Chiefs, who will do it if they beat the Broncos and the Chargers lose. The Vikings, if they win their game against Detroit. And Philly, if they win um, against the Giants. Which of those three do you think is more likely to clinch their playoff, playoff spot? Because I got Philly. I guess Philly and I also got the Vikings. Yeah, I think the Vikings do it too. But if I had to bet, I'd probably go Philly. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Look at some roster moves around the league. Starting with the Miami Dolphins, who have signed former first-round pick Eric Fisher, offensive tackle, while also putting um, starting right tackle Austin Jackson on injured reserve, effectively ending his season. As we mentioned with Jimmy G out of action, the 49ers have added Josh Johnson at quarterback as a way to kind of back up Brock Purdy. Um, also, uh, yeah, looking at uh, the Panthers, um, it was announced that it was a mutual decision between Baker Mayfield and the Panthers to get his release, and he has now been picked up by on waivers by the Los Angeles Rams. I think this probably goes without saying, but Ethan, do you feel like this is Baker's last chance to show that he can be a starting quarterback in this league? And if so, what does he have to do to prove that? I definitely think it's his last. Honestly, I don't think it's his last chance because I don't think, even if he has success, I don't think he'll be a starting quarterback after this season, regardless. Um, the only way I can see it is if, like, for the remainder of this season, he just completely falls. 
himself, where he looks like he plays like a number one pick, and I just don't see that happening. So I'm gonna have to say no. It's weird because I do think that LA presents an interesting, you know, situation for him. Though of course he's not gonna have Allen Robinson or Cooper Cup to throw the ball to. I mean, the Rams aren't totally devoid of talent. I don't know if he's gonna start this week. I would probably assume not just because he just got there. But I do think that it gives teams a chance to show if he can actually play or not, um, especially because, I mean, not to say the Rams aren't playing for anything, but they're not playing for anything. And so I think that if Baker Mayfield can show just enough that he's competent, he – yeah, I don't – okay, let me not lie. I don't think he's going to get a starting job either, but I do think he could show that he could be a valuable backup. Um, and I think the only way that he would get another starting job is if he goes absolutely insane over these next few weeks, which unfortunately I don't, I don't really buy that happening. But I mean, it's, I, I was happy to hear that it was a mutual decision between him and the Panthers because apparently he asked to be released, which I mean, he was, he wasn't going to play again anyway. It was either going to be Sam Donald or PJ Walker. So I hope that it works out for him. I just don't have a lot of hope that it will. Uh, speaking of things that are not working out. That is Odell Beckham Jr., who apparently did not work out on his visit with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not sure if he worked out on his visits with the Giants or the Buffalo Bills either, but it seems like him not choosing to do that has caused some concerns for the Cowboys. In fact, it was reported that the Dallas Cowboys have uh, concerns about OBJ's physical that his recovery and that his recovery from his torn left ACL has not progressed enough to ensure that he will play before mid-January. And so because they didn't get the chance to work him out, they have to go based off their own medical assessments. So much so that there are growing concerns that the Cowboys will not end up offering Beckham a contract because they did not offer him one while he was in town. So it originally came out that he would be able, Odell would be able to play within the next couple of weeks, and now it's being pushed back to mid-January. While I'm sure that there are teams that are still interested, Ethan, do you think that the latest reports about Odell's injury is going to stop teams from signing him or at least doing so um, this season? Uh, I'm going to say yes because I'm going to say believable because if you're looking at a guy – that's going to be ready to play by mid-January, that's playoff time. Right. And you don't want, in my opinion, you don't, and granted, we all know that Odell is a very talented individual, but I don't, if I'm a team, a coach, and an owner, I don't want to be bringing in a new guy trying to get him familiar with my offense when I'm basically in a similar a single elimination playoff type atmosphere. Right. Um, that's why the whole intrigue of signing Odell now was, was brought up because you can sign him now. You can get him familiar with your offense and get him familiar with the quarterback and build their chemistry as you prepare for the playoffs. But if you should sign where he's not going to be able to play or do anything to the playoffs or starting, I don't think he's going to get signed because that that's the reason why teams want to sign him now, is they want to make sure that they can sign, have him on their roster and ready for the playoff run. But if you're not able to do anything until the playoffs gets here, I think they kind of remove, they kind of like removes a lot of the luster around OBJ because that defeats the purpose of signing him. I think... I think- 
think it just it depends on the team. Like for example, I've read recently like the Eagles will be interested. I could see a team like the Eagles making that move because they don't need Odell right now. AJ Brown is balling. Devontae Smith is having a good sophomore year. Quez Watkins has been playing really well. So they don't need Odell to come in and have that immediate impact. If this is gonna be kind of like a red shirt year or whatever, and then he can use the offense offseason to kind of get to know the team and work his way up. I could see that working out. But a team like the Cowboys, who we all know, it's the CD Lamb show. Michael Gallup had a solid game this past weekend, but before that he's mostly been quiet. Same for Noah Brown. They would need that kind of immediate spark of Odell. And so I think that a team like that would be a bit more hesitant to do so as opposed to a team that's already loaded with talent. Um, but I do, but I still do think he ends up getting signed just so teams don't have to worry about kind of the bidding war that could take place in the offseason once he is proven to be fully healthy. But I do think that that is going to affect some teams' interest as opposed to how gung-ho they were before these recent reports came out. Uh, but speaking of recent reports, you touched on it during your takeaways, but John Robinson, as we mentioned, has been fired from his role as the Titans general manager after play, mm, sorry, after being in that position for the past seven and a half seasons. During that time, the Titans had proven to be a perennial playoff team, uh, number one seed last season. But it just seems something wasn't clicking. Ethan, you and I both agree that trading A.J. Brown was a big role in his firing, but what are some other things do you think contributed to that? Um, I think the biggest thing, honestly, was just the roster that he, the moves that he made recently, and that was capped with trading AJ Brown, like we talked about it off air. But let's look at some of the moves that he made these past three off seasons. He drafted Isaiah Washington, who never touched the field and was had very bad off the field issues. Drafted Darnton Evans who touched the field but wasn't really a big contributor. Drafted Farley who has potential but he can't stay healthy. He drafted Dylan Rundles who has shown flashes. He might be one of the only like decent picks in recent history. He drafted he traded for Julio, who didn't really stay on the field. Traded AJ, that's the biggest thing. And you signed Bud Dupree to a huge contract. Yeah. Like, Bud Dupree has been a productive player for the Titans when he's on the field. But you could have got a guy like Bud Dupree for way less than what, you, what you're paying him. And also going into this offseason, we're in a, a financial bind because, like, now – not only have we lost A.J. Brown, but we might not be able to re-sign Jeffrey Simmons, who's our best player on defense because of the moves that's been made these past couple of off-seasons. So, and then you just kept it off with A.J. Brown going bonkers against us on Sunday. Like, I think the writing was just on the wall. Yeah, I feel you. Um, Like you mentioned, I mean, A.J. Brown, that was the biggest blow. But, I mean, you and I kind of talked about with Jeff Simmons and just – the money may not be there to keep him. And I think there are teams like prime examples of like the New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens who are willing to like let those top players go, but they always kind of find a way to replace them. And Traylon Burks is fine, but and Robert Woods this year has been really quiet, but in the past he's been cool. But if you're gonna let those big guys go and those star players go, 
you have to have a plan in place to replace them. And I don't think that the uh, Titans have really done a good enough job of doing that. I mean, as you mentioned, like, cornerback has been a point of contention for a while. Christian Fulton has had his moments. You know I love my LSU guys, but he's not a number one corner. And too many times he's kind of been getting beaten by those top guys. He's cool against the average to slightly above average guys, but the A.J. Browns of the world, the Jamar Chases, guys like that, they routinely route him up. And you bring you draft a guy like Caleb Farley in hopes of him kind of taking over that role. He hasn't done it. Uh, Roger McCreary, a guy they just drafted this past year from Auburn, hasn't really done too much. And it just comes down to just roster construction. And I think that because, you know, I talked about this, Mike Vrabel is such a good coach, we don't really trip off the roster deficiencies of the Titans, especially when Derrick Henry is rolling. However, when Derrick Henry is not rolling, which he hasn't been for the past few games, you start to see how human the Titans are because their idea is they're going to pound the rock, they're going to ground you to the pole, be more out physical than you, and then force your offense to play from behind. And then when they do that, they can unleash their pressure and their secondary doesn't have to do too much. But when they're playing from in front and everybody knows that they have to start throwing the ball, it hasn't been pretty. So I think that those are a lot of the reasons that happen with John Robinson. I'm interested to see if the Titans are going to start being a bit more aggressive in the offseason with him gone or if they're going to continue to try to be conservative. Because push on the shove, if they don't do anything else, they got to bring back Jeffrey Simmons. And yeah. – that's going to be really, really expensive. I don't know how they're going to try to fix the cap for that. Maybe talk to Ryan Tannehill about restructuring his deal. Maybe Robert Woods. But no matter who the GM is, if they can't bring back Jeffrey Simmons, this offseason is already off to a bad start. But, yeah. yeah. But, anyway. and, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, like you said, like, and then to go back to the Mike Variable point. So, right now, Currently, the Titans have had the most. Um, they've had the most injuries in the NFL, and we're leading our division. Before these two games did that we had, we were kind of on our way to being the number one seed again. And if you look at it, the last season, what was something that happened with the Titans? They had they broke the record for the most players to play on one roster. And they're about to, and it's showing signs of them doing it again this year. And that just shows you, like, Mike Variable is a great coach. Oh, but he's when, great. Yeah, but when you, as a general manager, when you don't build a roster to make to match your coach, that's when things start to show. And I mean, the Tigers they play, they they had great seasons, but. It's like the minute you see the when the minute you hit the playoffs, that's when you see the deficiencies in the Titans roster the most. Yeah. When you play teams like Kansas City, that's when you see the deficiencies in corners. When you play teams like the Bengals, that's when you see the deficiency in corners. When you play in guys like those and you have to throw the ball, like I'm not gonna throw Ryan Tannehill under the bus because I actually think he's a a decent quarterback. But that's when you see the difference between a slightly above average quarterback and a superstar. And even if you don't have a slight, if you have a slightly above average quarterback, at least have a good offensive line. Yeah. And that's been, a, that's been the major, like at least these past two years, it's been a major issue with the Titans is their O-line hasn't been good. 
Well, I'll say more so this year because they lost some good guys like, this season, upcoming season. But you have to make moves. Like, why did you let Roger Saffold go? He was a great O-line. He's still great for the Bills. And you just let him walk. So... Yeah, no, it was, like I said, like, it'd be very interesting. Like, they didn't do much to really replace him, which just shows kind of the issues. But, no, I mean, death is important. And, like I said, if you're going to let these guys walk out, that's cool, but you got to be able to replace them too. And it just has not happened for Tennessee yet. So, it'll be very, it'll be a very interesting offseason. I'm excited to see what everybody does, but Tennessee I'll definitely have um, more eyes on for sure. All right, last piece before we play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery. The Cincinnati Bengals have been the talk of the NFL after beating the Kansas City Chiefs for a third straight time. Because as we mentioned, Joe Burrow is a cold-blooded SOB. However, there have been some two pretty big takes regarding the team. Uh, One about Joe specifically and one about the Bengals overall. And we are going to decide which statement is closer to the truth. The first comes from Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football who said, I don't know if any team is beating the Bengals if the Bengals play like they've been playing the past two weeks. Another statement was from Jamar Chase, star wide receiver, about his quarterback said, Joe Burrow should be in the MVP conversation. He is the best quarterback in the league. That's a fact. Now, I love me some Joey B, and I do think the Bengals are playing really well. But between the two statements, I think I'd go with... I I think I'd go with the Bengals being the best team in the AFC right now before I go Joe Burrow being the best quarterback. I love me some Joey B, but I still think Patrick Mahomes still owns that title. I'm going for the sake of the show. I'm going. I'm agree with um the Bengals being, especially now with Von Miller being out. Right. I definitely think the Bengals are probably the best team in the AFC. But I also could say I could buy some stock in Joe Burrow being the best quarterback in the NFL. I can buy stock in it. I'll say this. If it was a game where like Patrick Mahomes played like dirt, then yeah, I would I would jump the bandwagon for sure. But Patrick Mahomes did not have a bad game. If anything, the worst play came from uh, Travis Kelsey, who had a really big fumble, which led to the uh, Bengals scoring again. Patrick Mahomes played fine, and so and he's continued to play fine. Like there's no game where Patrick Mahomes has had an outright bad game. Joe Burrow has had outright bad games as much as I hate to say it. And so because of that, I still would go Patrick Mahomes, but Joe Burrow right now would be my number two for sure. He'd be my number two, but I don't know if I put him over. I don't know if I put him over uh, Patrick Mahomes. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we got to start off with Coach Prime. After a successful run as the head coach at Jackson State University, bringing more eyes to HBCU football than ever before, it was announced this past weekend that Coach Prime will be taking his talents to Colorado with over a thousand players in the transfer portal and quite a few reaching out to Coach Prime asking to join the team. There is some excitement brewing over in Boulder. So believable or buffoonery, in three years, Coach Prime will have Colorado as a top 20 team in the nation. Believable. I think it'll be national three. I think it too. Oh, wow. Um, just simply because the biggest thing with Coach Prime is 
he's going to bring talent. Like, he brought four or five stars to JSU. And now you're in a P5. He's going to, and yes, Colorado isn't like a destination job or a destination school, but that magnanimous personality that he has, he's going to bring players. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing is with that is now we're going to have, now we're really going to have to see if Coach Pryor can coach. Yeah. Because it's a difference in being able to recruit. Like, at JSU, you can beat teams because you just simply have better talent. Yeah. When you're in a P5 or P5 school, especially one of the caliber of Colorado, who's basically been one of the worst teams in P5 football for a handful of years, like, once you bring in the talent, we're going to have to see if you can coach the talent because you're going to be going up against better programs. But I personally think that he'll get them to a top 25, top 20 seed within two years. I'm going to say buffoonery. I think that I think that it can be done, absolutely. But as you mentioned, I don't think that Colorado – Right now, Colorado's hot stuff right now. I mean, you get Coach Prime. They just had a 1-11 season. Everything looks bad. But you get Coach Prime coming in. He's going to bring in his players. He's going to bring some guys in. That's awesome. But as you mentioned, it's going to take time. for He has to show that he can actually coach on the big leagues, on a really big stage. And, I mean, the Pac-12, yes, USC and UCLA are leaving. But, I mean, you still got to deal with tough squads like Oregon. You still got to deal with teams like Utah. Like, they're not just going to roll over. And I think that, one, he has to kind of build that chemistry with not only the roster but the community, with the fan base, like with the team people in charge of the team. Because when he was in JSU, he practically ran that team. I'm sure he was not micromanaged. He could do just about anything. But being in Colorado, it's going to be more eyes on him. He's not going to have the same freedom that he had at Jackson State. And then not to mention you're going up against, I I hate to say better competition, but unfortunately it is mostly better competition. And it's going to be tougher to just make that initial transition. And so I think it's going to take some time. I think it absolutely can be done. But I don't know if I'd go top 20 just yet. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some other NFL legends. I asked Ethan at the top of the show about his feelings about the Pro Bowl, and it was an interesting Pro Bowl announcement made this past Monday Night Football game where it was announced that Peyton Manning was going to be the head coach of the AFC team while Eli Manning was going to be the head coach of the NFC team. I, For me, I think it adds an interesting wrinkle, but believable or buffoonery, having Peyton and Eli Manning coach the Pro Bowl will generate more interest in the game. Buffoonery. I mean, the game is hard. The really the reality is, it's the game of football is hard to have an all star game in general because, like, the things that people want to see, you can't. You really necessarily don't want to put your um your players through. And I think the flag football thing would be dope, but I just don't see. I don't see anything that they do really generating a lot of buzz for the Pro Bowl unless it's like something like super random and thought-provoking. Right. I, while everybody knows I love me some Peyton Manning, I think the Mannings are hilarious. I think it'll generate a little bit more 
interest just because it's two familiar faces, two like beloved faces in the community. So I think people will be interested to see how it shakes out. But I don't think it's enough. I'll admit, for me, it's not enough to get me to watch. But I'm interested to see how it'll go. Like, I'll go on Twitter after the game and, like, I'm sure there'll be funny clips and stuff from it. But it's not enough for me to sit and actually watch the game. I don't, I don't care that much. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk your rookie of the week, Brock Purdy, who, as you mentioned, helped guide the team after the first quarter injury to Jimmy G. Uh, following the game, Fred Warner, defensive leader for the 49ers, was asked about Purdy and his confidence in him, to which he said, the way that he comes out and prepares and competes, the confidence he has, the swag he has, I have got all the confidence in the world in Brock Purdy. There's four more weeks of the regular season before we get to the playoffs. I think it's pretty safe to say that the 49ers are going to win the NFC West. So, believable or buffoonery, Brock Purdy will keep the 49ers afloat and help them stay strong going into the playoffs. Believable. Um, and it's simply because of the way that the 49ers are constructed. They, even with Jimmy G, they never really asked much of their starting quarterbacks to begin with. Like, their team is structured around having a strong defense having a, and having a strong run game. So, with those type of teams, as long as you put the quarterback, whoever's in quarterback, as long as you put them in position of playing complimentary football, I think they're going to be able to win games. And also, the beautiful, the reality of the 49ers is on the offensive side of the football, all the um, play, the dynamic players that you have, you can put them in like exotic packages and just like you can put a Christian McCaffrey wide receiver and people are running back, and you can switch it out, and you can make mismatches on the field with all the different two skill sets of the players that you have. So I think he'll be able to to at least keep them afloat to make the playoffs. Yeah, I'm say believable as well. I mean, for everything you just said. I mean, the 49ers have a roster constructed to where quarterbacks don't really have to do too much. Like you have playmakers and Debo and CMC who can just just put the ball in their hands and they'll make it work. A terrific tight end and George Killen, of course, Brandon Ayuk, who continues to get better. So I'm in agreement with you. I think that the 49ers going to be fine. Like he would have to go out of his way to play terrible. All right. And then last one, I'll admit this one is on me. I should have brought it up last week, but I didn't. I can't tell you why I didn't. I don't really remember. But this is on me because we should have talked about it last week. Now, following uh, Lakers game uh, this past Wednesday, uh, at the end of the press conference, LeBron James exposed a question to the media, to which he said, I was wondering why I haven't gotten a question from you guys about the Jerry Jones picture. When I watch Kyrie talk and he says, I know who I am, but I want to keep that same energy when we're talking about my people and the things that we've been through. And that Jerry Jones photo is one of the moments that our people, black people, have been through in America. The picture that we... LeBron is referring to, which I'm sure everybody at this point has seen it, is a picture from 1957 where you can see a 14-year-old Jerry Jones in the back harassing black students as they tried to enter Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, aka the first uh, public school to be integrated under the Brown v. Board of Education Supreme Court case. And nobody has really talked about it much. And like I said, it's on me because I saw it and I thought about it, but I didn't think about it enough to put it on the show. So, believable or buffoonery, Jerry Jones got off too easily following the release of that 1957 photo. Oh, uh, 
I'm stuck somewhere in the middle of yes and no. I think yes simply because I do think that it was something that should have been addressed more publicly. But I also am kind of saying no simply because, and the reason I think it should have been addressed more publicly is the, it ties into the reason why I also think no. Like the reason it's hard for me, I think I say no is because the photo was taken several years ago. Like me and you both weren't even born or considered a thought of at the time when the photo took place. But when you look at the recent history of Jerry Jones and then you look at this photo, that's why I think it should have been talked about more. And when I say recent history, I mean the Colin Kaepernick situation where he essentially told players of the Dallas Cowboys, if you pro if you kneel, you're going to be cut. The fact that the Dallas Cowboys since his tenure is on has never had an African American head coach. Um also I believe since his tenure Dak Prescott has been the first starting quarterback of color for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and a lot of those things that kind of people can fly over the radar and not really pay attention to. But I think he should have, on one hand, I definitely think he should have raised more awareness simply because of, like we say, he has, um, he's had things that come up recently that can kind of tie into the picture. And there's also the side of like, you know, I believe people can change with time. So I don't want to like crucify someone for something that they did decades ago. I will say I think he got off too easily for it because it's a matter of patterns. Like, as you mentioned with the Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick protest, Jerry Jones was one of the most outspoken people in the league about it. He was one of the first people to berate Collins' decision, as you mentioned, threaten to cut players if they decide to kneel for the national anthem. And let's be honest here. I highly doubt that Jerry Jones' perspective on black people have changed that much. If anything, they changed because he brings in he get, brings in billions of dollars for him. He brings in quite a little quite a lot of money as an owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Because let's be honest, you take away all those talented black players on that squad and you will have nothing. No offense to their current players, it's just a fact. And so with that being said, I do think that I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Jerry Jones should be stripped of his ownership status for that because there's plenty of other reasons why he could be. But Because as you mentioned, this picture did play take place almost uh, 70 years ago. 70? Yeah, almost 70 years ago. But I do think that we also have to recognize that it's not like Joe – that Jerry Jones has just been this beacon of civil rights ever since that moment. It's not like he looked at that picture and was like, oh, this was wrong. He never really expressed how wrong the image was or how his feelings on desegregation have changed. It's more so just like, hey, yeah, that happened. Get over it, essentially. And I don't think that that's fair, especially because we're looking at recent things that have happened. I mean, of course, the Kyrie Irving situation is a big one because, I mean, he didn't even really do anything. He just posted a link to a documentary. He has been absolutely crucified, whereas you can actively see a picture of Jerry Jones taking part in a desegregation rally, and nobody's talking about it. Yes, there is a big time difference, 
But still, I highly, I don't think there's anything that Jerry Jones has done or said to show that he is totally, he no longer has any of those same feelings. So that's why I still think he got off too easy. But let's go ahead and move on to our Week 14 game picks. Some interesting games coming up this week, starting with tonight's game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Rams. This will be a much more exciting game if the Rams are healthy, but I got Raiders. Yeah, I got Raiders. Baltimore Ravens head to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers as much as I want to say Baltimore because you know I love my Ravens and I don't want to lose to the Steelers for a fifth straight time. I got Steelers. I got Steelers. Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings taking on the Detroit Lions. Right now the Lions are seen as the favorites. I'm calling big cap on that. I got Vikings. Yeah, I got Vikings as well. Tennessee Titans versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the Titans get back on track and get the dub. They better. I got Titans. I felt that. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. I got Eagles. Eagles. Buffalo Bills look for revenge against the New York Jets. I got Bills. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know if I said Bills at first, but Bills versus Jets. I got Bills. I got Bills. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals take on the Cleveland Browns, who embarrassed them on Halloween earlier this year. I got Bengals. I think that they end their losing streak to the Browns. I hope they do. What's the game again? Browns and Bengals. Mm, yeah, I got Bengals. Uh, Dallas Cowboys versus the Houston Texans. I got Dallas. Dallas. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Denver Broncos. As much as I love for my brother-in-law to pull off some miraculous upset, I got Chiefs. Chiefs. Seattle Seahawks versus the uh, Carolina Panthers. I got Seahawks. Seahawks. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus San Francisco 49ers. This is probably going to sound like a shock, but I got Bucks. No, I don't think that's a shock. Um, I got I got Bucks too. Yeah, I think the defense is going to be able to rattle uh, Brock Purdy more than the Dolphins' defense is. More specifically, my main man, Devin White. Uh, next up, we got the Los Angeles Chargers uh, hosting the Miami Dolphins for Sunday Night Football. I got Chargers. I got Dolphins. All right, Monday Night Football, we have the New England Patriots headed to the desert to face the Arizona Cardinals. I got Cardinals. I got it. Mm, tough. I know. It, it, it's a weird place to be in. I don't feel good about it's you. In Arizona. It's, it's in Arizona? It's in Arizona, yeah. I got Cardinals. Okay. I mean, for me, it just comes down to the simple fact that D-Hop is amazing, and I don't see nobody stopping D-Hop. That's what it all comes down to for me. That's what it kind of down to for me, too. Yeah. All right, so let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching. Ethan, you can start us off. Offensive. Looking at two of we had high praise for him last week. We thought this was going to be this game that he struggled in was going to be a come out, coming out party for him, and it didn't happen, so I want to see how it's going to bounce back. Uh, for me, offensively, I'm going Tyler Huntley. Uh, I want to say he was he was our starter last season. No, he started the last game against uh, Pittsburgh and lost. He had a great game-winning drive this past weekend, and I would love for him to not have the game come down to another game-winning drive. Just play well, try to stay up, because you know Cam Hayward and TJ Walker will try to knock your head off. So just tell him, just don't lose us the game. If we lose, it's whatever, but don't give the game away. Um, for me, defensively, I'm going to be looking at your boy, Brokhorn Smith. 
uh, going up against the Steelers, we know like their run game hasn't been amazing, but they're still going to try to establish the run. And Najee has some flashes of looking better in like recent weeks, so I got to put some highlight on your boy. Oh, I hope he has a big game. Uh, I'm putting my defensive spotlight on the entire Bengals unit. I ragged on them boys hard after they lost to the Browns Monday Night Football, and they can't lose another game like that. Not saying that their offense was perfect, but the defense did them absolutely no favors. They have to be able to get stops on third down. They have to be able to slow down Nick Chubb. And most importantly, they got to put the Predator on his back. So Bengals defense do better. Ricky. Man, you probably had the same rookie. It has to be Brock Carter. Yeah, we got the same one. All right, what team you calling out? I think I know. Team I'm calling out. I'm not going to go with the simple Titans because, I mean, they're playing the Jags. And I know it's a game that they could, they could very well lose just because of the Jags. Like I stated, Tyler, um, Trevor Lawrence can be the Jack and the Hyde. I'm actually calling out y'all like can y'all rally the troops in a divisional game which our quarterback being hurt can y'all play the good I hope so I sure hope so I will go you know what I'm gonna call out the Bengals one because I love Joe Burrow but it is embarrassing the fact that he has not beaten the Browns yet in his career I understand it's a whole battle for Ohio thing but that's embarrassing and two the Texans could not get the job done against y'all know who. So I need the Bengals to do it. And that would make me very, very happy. But then I need Baltimore to win because I still want to win the division, and that gets all complicated. But we'll focus on one thing at a time. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. First things first, everybody woke up to some very good news, and that is that Brittany Griner, WNBA star, has been released by Russia after – Joe Biden was able to facilitate a one-for-one prisoner swap uh, between her and Victor Boat, an arms dealer from Russia. Everybody, let's just focus on the good because I don't know if you've seen on social media, but people actually are expressing how they feel some type of way about the man who was released and, well, what about this person? What about that person? All I'm saying is let's focus on the good. Let's focus on Brittany Griner being back in the States and let's ignore the other hoopla that people did not care about up until this very moment. Yeah. I mean, it's great news to hear the she's back. Um, it's great news for basketball fans, WNBA fans. And I feel like, yeah, regardless of the circumstances around it, it's great to know that we have one of our own coming back home. Yeah, like this... Let's not steal, especially for, like, her family and loved ones. Like, let's not take away their joy because none of us know how hard it's been for them. So, please, like, the fact that people on social media and be like, well, why would she come back over X, Y, and Z? Like, it's not. Let's not do any of that. Let's just enjoy the moment. Y'all can act like y'all care another day, but just today, leave it alone. But let's get on to our regularly scheduled program, our Mamba of the week starting out of the eastern conference i gotta go with a repeat performance i got jason tatum again um i gotta go with Giannis. Giannis was a close second happy belated birthday to Giannis, by the way 
All right, my Western Mamba, I got to go Luca. I mean, Luca's been balling. We can say what we want about him officiating and him whining because he definitely does that. But he's been balling out, especially when it comes against the Suns. They just can't do nothing with him. I ain't going to hold you screw Luca. I'm going to Zion. I'm going to get to Zion soon, but that's fair. All right, rookie Mamba, I got Paolo. Yeah, I got Paolo as well. All right, takeaways. What's your number three? Number three... Um, number three. What is it? What is it? Oh, Shai Gilgis Alexander deserves to be traded from the Oklahoma City Thunder. This man, and I know it's not going to happen, but this man has been falling, and his team's record isn't going to show anything for it. Like he, he's not even going to sniff the playoffs. And he's been playing like a top 10 player in the NBA this season so far. Get him out. All right, for the sake of conversation, where should he go? Like, where do you think would be the best fit for him? Shoot. Uh, let me see. I could say that, like, but I don't want to do that. That's too easy. Loki, we need everybody, so. <laughs> yeah, it's too easy. Uh, I'm trying to think of a team that's in the that can be in the playoff picture. I hate to say it, the Mavs. That would be a really good fit. Yeah, I mean, Luca needs help, and I think those two will play really well together. Um, my number three. Actually, no, I'm gonna say that for a later one. But shout-out to Kawhi Leonard, mainly because, as we all know, he had that game winner a couple nights ago. And even though it's still going to take some time before he's fully healthy and he's back to being the Kawhi that we know, I think that these recent games that he has been able to play and the limited minutes he's had, it's shown flashes of why we've been so excited for him and why the Clippers are still determined to, like, keep him and build around him because we know the type of player he is. All right, what's your number two? Number two, um... Is we're gonna we talk you said you're gonna talk about him, but and I talked about him a ton. But we gotta put some respect on Anthony Davis in the MVP conversation. I understand he won out the game against the Cows and flu like symptoms, and that's one of those things where people can always make fun of like oh, yeah, street clothes, AD, yada yada yada. But this season when he was on when he's on when he was on the court, I'ma be real with you. I don't think nobody played better than him. Like, you can say Jason Tatum. I would take what Anthony Davis was doing over Jason Tatum. Yes. Um, you, can say, you can say Giannis. I would take what A D was doing over Giannis. You can say Luca. AD was going, putting up great numbers and leading his team to wins. Luka has not been doing it. Yeah. So, like, in my opinion, like, if he's able to come back from his flu-like symptoms and continue to play the way that he's been playing, and I know the MVP stuff, you, it's a lot of scenarios and stereotypes, but, like, if they're able to make the playoffs, can he continue to play at the level he's been playing the whole season? AD should be in the top, at least top two in the MVP votes. 
Yeah, no, AD has been going insane. I mean, LeBron made a comment about him being in the MVP discussion. I mean, if he can find a way, like, I'm not expecting him to get 55 and 17 every game. That's not realistic. But if he can find a way to at least continue like, playing with that level of dominance on a week weekly basis and be able to stay healthy, I absolutely do think that this could be the year that we finally look at AD as not only an MVP candidate, but also somebody like, okay, he can handle being the face of the Lakers. You know what I'm saying? He can handle being the future. Because right now, I mean, coming to the season and even in the early portions, you and I talked about it. I admitted that I didn't feel comfortable with him being the guy. And while this latest stretch is great, I want to see more of it as opposed to just being like, okay, well, he's it. And then mess around and get hurt again. But, no, AD's been going crazy. Uh, my number two is shout-out to Dylan Brooks for stepping up for Desmond Bain. I don't know if you saw the report, but yesterday it was announced that Bain is going to be out for at least another three to four weeks with that toe injury, which does suck. But at least for the Grizzlies there, the bed, the comfort is not totally bare. They still have guys who've been stepping up. And one of those guys has been Dylan Brooks, who I know Grizzlies fans, y'all got an up-and-down relationship with them, and rightfully so. But this past few games, especially when Ja was also out, he's been really stepping up and – like, for example, last night dropped 24, 17, 22, 17 the game before that. I mean, he's really been stepping up. So I got to shout out to Dylan Brooks for really being able to show that he can still play at this level and help the team out even when um, the ideal healthy stars aren't there. Look at you, Sean. Give me some love. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> That's fair. Well, he, he, he has been balling out recently. And he has been pissing me off with shots next nearly as much. Um, my number one is, and it's very simple, right now, with this current state of the NBA, the Boston Celtics and Charlotte are the clear cut above all else, best team in the league. They just last night demolished the Suns in a way that I've never seen. Like, I never would think a team with Devin Booker and Chris Paul would get destroyed in the magnitude that they got destroyed. And the truth is, not only are they doing it now, but they can potentially still get better because they haven't had Robin or Robert Williams. He hasn't played a game this season. And he was a big focal point of why their defense was so great last season. So just think about, they, they've been playing the offense and the defense so far, and they can be even better once he returns to the line. So at least for the, for the time being, the Celtics is looking like they might they might be a force to be regularly um, this season. No, I, I do agree with you. I mean, you know how I feel about the Bucks and all that jazz. But no, clear-cut team-wise, I there hasn't been a better team than the Celtics. But I'm also going to be hyping up a team, but it's in the Western Conference. And I'm saying that I'm, I'm starting to buy into the Pelican stock. Before last night, they were the second seed in the Western Conference with a 16 and eight record. Well, 15 and eight record. They won their game. The Suns dropped their game. Right now, they're the top seed in the West, looking at 16 and eight. And I mean, they have looked really, really good. They're starting to look like the team that everybody was kind of expecting them to um, once. Zion got healthy and I mean since he's been healthy he has been balling out CJ McCollum has been playing exceptionally well they've won their last five games eight and two run these past 10 games I mean the Pelicans are starting to play the way that everybody expected to like I mentioned like when Zion showed up and it's nice to see it finally starting to come together and I think that if he can stay healthy they have a legitimate shot to be a top four seed in the Western Conference 
those mine. All right, so, but let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Well, there's been quite a few trade rumors um, surrounding the league. And coincidentally, they all revolve around Eastern Conference teams. Starting out down in South Beach, it's been reported that the Heat are willing to move on from Kyle Lowry. First question, do you think that the Heat will be making the right decision trading him? And if so, where do you think will be a good fit for him? Oh, no, I think it would be the right decision. I think it will be because since he's been in Miami, he hasn't really shown, um, he hasn't really been productive. In fact, this has been probably his worst season since he was a younger player. Where do I think he should go? Being real, back to the Raptors. Yes, Fred Lansley is a great, he's been a great um, point guard, you know, but you can bring him back and he can come off the bench and he can get that same more and love from that team. And he can still be that veteran presence that you need for a team that's kind of looking to be in playoff contention. Yeah, I agree with you on both counts. Um, Low-key, I kind of wish he didn't leave the Raptors in the first place. It's cool because we've gotten to see more Fred Van Fleet and then Gary Trent's been playing really well too, but... Yeah, I think going back to the Raptors, that'd be a seamless transition. It'd be interesting to see what exactly they would give up to get him. Because, um, of course, I don't think it's going to be too, too much. Maybe a precious Achua-based deal, send him back down to South Beach. But other than that, I'm not totally sure how it would work out. But I do think the Raptors would be a solid fit. All right, talking about another uh, team. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have kind of been in talks about getting John Collins forward from Atlanta, who I'll admit I was surprised when he re-signed with Atlanta because I thought he was going to leave because there had been so much trade talk around him over the past couple of years. However, the talks are back again with the Nets reportedly looking in to a trade and have also touched base with the Hawks about getting one done. So how do you think – okay, let me phrase that. Do you think that they can get it done? And if so, who would they have to give up? Because if I'm the Hawks, there's no way I'm just I'm giving up John Collins without getting something good in return. I mean, I guess my question to them would be, what is something good in return in your opinion? Because you're, you're, you're not, not getting, getting KD. Yeah. You're not getting KD or Kyrie. No. And I don't know. It's weird because, like, Ben Simmons is, like, in that weird part. It's it's very weird to tell what Ben Simmons is right now. Like, most of the season, early portion of the season didn't play for most of When he did play, he was looking kind of good. Now he's hurt again. It's it's weird. And I don't think they have a lot of first-round picks in return. So that's why I said, can my question was, like, can they really get it done? I don't think they have enough to give up. So I don't think I think that'd be the reason why it didn't happen, as opposed to a lack of interest from both sides. Yeah, I think the only stuff that you could potentially give up is like self care, um, maybe T.J. Warren since he's back and able to play, and he could potentially be a good asset to Atlanta, especially because he played he played small, he play like small forward slash a small ball forward. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, or at least not with the Nets. I don't think they have enough firepower to give to give up. 
Um, but all right, let's go ahead and move on. Last player, Cam Reddish, another guy who's been brought up a lot in trade discussions. His name was brought up after during the offseason after being traded to the New York Knicks. Unfortunately, despite some flashes, he has not really been able to crack that lineup, thus leading to more trade discussions. So who do you think will be a good fit for Cam Reddish if he is eventually moved? Memphis. Yeah, Memphis would be a good fit. Memphis would be a very I mean, good fit, actually. All we just like we just talked about Dylan Brooks, and he's been playing really, really well. But the reality of the Dylan Brooks scenario is, is once Desmond Bain comes back, it's going to affect the pecking order dramatically. For sure. To where we all know Josh's going to get the bulk of the shots because he's the superstar. And then you're going to be looking at this and Jaren is the two and three, regardless whatever variation you want to look at. So once you get to Dylan, is he going to be like comfortable being the fourth option? Because we know Stephen Adams the fifth, but like, is he going to be comfortable with being the fourth option? Yes, we love we can do defensively, and we love the fire that he brings to the team. But, and I'm not necessarily saying you got to trade Dylan, but a guy like Cam Reddish, you could potentially bring in, he can potentially be a good defensive piece, and he, don't, and he won't take nearly the number of shots as Dylan to where you can even out the shot distribution to your actual three stars. So, yeah, I would say Memphis. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. I, I think you pretty hit it off out of the park with that answer. I mean, he just provides so much off the bench that, like I said, we've seen flashes from his time in Atlanta to the Knicks, but I think that with the Grizzlies, he could really carve out a nice role, especially because, like, Zaire Williams is still – I don't know what's going on with Zaire Williams. Between injuries and even when he has played, he's been pretty inconsistent, and I just think that bringing in another presence to kind of fill that role would be a big help. But – Kind of talking about the Grizzlies, some great news for Grizzly and Ja Moran fans is that Nike uh, has been in discussions with Ja and is currently in line to receive a new signature signature shoe, I'm sorry, in the near, near future, which is very exciting. But also in that same breath, it was announced that Kyrie Irving is no longer a Nike athlete. And I don't know if you peeped it, but last night during the next game, he had put tape over the Nike logo. Um, with the message on there, which was pretty interesting. So let's start off with the positive, with Jaws' note. How excited are you for his shoes? And do you think that they are going to – how good do you think they're going to look? Because I know Jaws' been rocking Kobe's for a while, which, you know, I never have a problem with. But how do you – with your – you big Jaw fan, how do you think the shoe's going to turn out? I think the shoe's going to be great because, like, He's a big shoe guy, especially like basketball shoe. He's a big shoe guy. Like not only has he worn coats, he has like tape. He has all of the stylish basketball shoes from Kobe's to KD's to Kyrie's. The only shoe that I haven't seen him wear has been PG's. So I think from a fashion standpoint, I think they're going to be really good. Um, so I think it's going to be exciting and. I know I'm going to get a pair regardless. Even if I don't play in them, I'm just going to get a pair just to say that I bought a pair. Oh, yeah, I definitely was going to ask if you was going to cop a pair. All right, so let's move on to the Kyrie standpoint. Life isn't fair, but do you think it was right for Nike to drop him as an athlete? 
do I think it was right? Mm, I'm gonna say only reason I'm gonna say yes is because of and it's not even his recent history, his recent spat with the anti Semitic thing and all of that. I just think Kyrie's an individual that you don't wanna that you don't want representing your brain. Because he he has such an enigmatic personality and he has a personality that runs people the wrong that runs people the wrong way. Like for a sneaker company, do you really want somebody like that as one of your focal points of your um of your brand? Me personally, I would still keep Kyrie, but for a brand as big as Nike, I kinda can understand it. And we kinda saw this coming anyway. Yeah, we got suspended. I agree with you in terms of yes, but I will bring up the latest situation, mainly because, like, I even talked about it. Like, I understood Nike suspending him more than, like, the Nets suspending him. Because with regards to Nike, like, you're our image. You know what I'm saying? Like, when we sell your shoes, it still has your name in it. It may be our logo, but it says Kyrie's. And so if you're Nike, you don't really want to be associated with the drama that comes with Kyrie Irving. And so because that drama continues to persist, you're, like, he hasn't really said anything. He's kind of been doing his own thing now. I can understand why Nike wouldn't want to run the risk of more situations like that occurring. And so I get them dropping him. But it'll be interesting to see because I know they just had a really big sale on his shoes. And I wonder who's going to pick him up because I think somebody else is going to pick him up. It may not be anytime soon. But if Kyrie continues to ball out, I do think that there's some there's going to be somebody who's going to pick him up and give him another shoe deal. Alright, now moving on to our game of believable or buffoonery. So let's start things off with the Atlanta Hawks. We kind of talked about the John Collins situation, but there also was a pretty uh, well-known spat between head coach Nate McMillan and Trey Young. Reportedly, the situation goes that Trey Young decided not to play against Denver due to an exchange with Nate McMillan. Uh, reportedly, McMillan reportedly uh, disagreed with Young's shoulder rehab approach and gave him the option to play off the bench or do not show up at all, to which Trey Young did not show up. We all know that the NBA is a star-driven league, and if you have the right star and one that's powerful enough, they can get rid of a head coach if they want to. So, believable or buffoonery, trouble in Atlanta will cost Nate McMillan his job. I think it's believable. Um, because the reality is, once you lose your star, once you lose the trust of your star, the next thing in total is going to be the locker room. Because the players are going to rise for each other. And I think Nathan Millen has shown that he could be a capable coach. But also when you have a team with the roster that's assembled, like Atlanta, like you can find another coach to coach their team and have success. So I think sooner or later he might be out of the door. Yeah, I'm going to say believable as well, especially because right now the Hawks aren't doing great. I think I was just looking at the standings, and I – would they be a playoff team right now? I know it's really early in the year, but I don't think their spot in the standings were great. Yeah, they're fifth right now. They're fourth. They're thirteen and twelve, which is solid. Seven and a half games back from the top seed. But I mean, with being almost five hundred, the season can kind of tip any kind of way. And I do think that if this animosity does kind of continue, I could see Nate McMillan being on the way out, especially because they do have a lot of talent in the Hawks organization front office, thinking that they could possibly do better with somebody else on 
um, on the fold. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next piece. Bobo has been balling out lately, so much so that Stephen uh, Marbury, an absolute legend in China and had a really good NBA career as well, had this to say. He will be a top-tier player in the next two years. He's playing with the passion because of how he was treated elsewhere. It's great to see him shine. He has his father's heart and desires on the court mixed with all the things his father didn't have as a player. To be fair, Bobo has been balling out. And, I mean, especially with the recent comments about uh, Victor Wambiana. I think that's how you say his name. I apologize if it's not. A lot of comparisons between the two have been showing up. So, if Victor is expected to be this kind of guy, and we got a guy like Bobo in the league today, believable or buffoonery, Bobo is on the cusp of being a top NBA player. Uh... I'm going to say buffoonery because I think he'd be a really, really good player, but I don't think he'll be a top player for one. Like, we all know the player that Paolo is, and we know that the Magic are going to put as much into Paolo's development as possible. But I do think that Bobo could be a really, a really good player for years to come, especially if the Rockets are going to continue to give him playing time. I think so too. This bad, it's just the Magic are such a hard team to gauge. Like, they're not, they have a lot of young talent. I don't think anybody would dispute that. It's just, what are they doing with that talent? That's always the hardest part. And, but I think Bobo has been one of those guys to kind of come in and be really unique in the way that he does play the game. So I think he has a chance to be pretty solid. I wouldn't say top tier, but. I think he, I think he has a shot to be one of those guys who becomes kind of must see TV. The rare chances that Orlando does get a prime time game. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a prime time city, and that is the Chicago Bulls, a team that have not been doing too great, but they still do have talent. In fact, reporter Sam Quinn. Uh, when it was discussed that the Lakers possibly would look for a trade that included Nikola Vucic and DeMar DeRozan said, Alex Caruso is a better basketball player today than Nikola Vucic. To be fair, Nikola has kind of fallen off a bit from his days in Orlando, whether that be a schematic feat or just the Bulls not being all that great. But I find that believable. I do think Alex Caruso is the better player. Uh, yeah, I do agree. I think the only advantage Nikola Vucic has over Alex Caruso is the from and I'm looking at it from a Lakers standpoint is the positioning his skill set because he plays center he's seven foot tall and he can shoot and like he compared great with LeBron and Anthony Davis because and yes he can post and like say it's a situation where he he gets a lot of his post up and running the offense opportunities um playing alongside Russ on the bench. But from a starting standpoint, you have a guy that you can run pick and pops with with a prime. He can space he can still he's a capable full spacer for Anthony Davis when Anthony Davis goes to work on the block. But I do think that Anthony, uh Alice Caruso is a better player right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, last but not least, there have been a lot of talk about Jason Tatum over the past, let's say, 
10 months or so with helping to guide his team to the NBA Finals, his performance during the playoffs, and even to now where the Boston Celtics have looked like the best team in the league and he looks like the top contender for MVP. So much so that everybody's favorite player, Paul Pierce, had this to say. I think after last year's playoffs, Jason Tatum has surpassed Kevin Durant as far as a better player in the NBA today. I rag a lot on Paul Pierce, but I think this statement has some belief to it. I, I'm going to say believable. Um, in the current iteration of the NBA, yes. I think he is a better player than KD right now. But in the overall, we are know JT hadn't touched. Even with all the shakiness of KD's legacy in the NBA, Jason Tatum still hasn't touched KD's legacy at all from an overall standpoint. Oh, absolutely not. No way. But right now, yeah, no, I would go Jason Tatum. But all right, last piece before we close this bad boy out, nightly game picks, starting with the Los Angeles Clippers taking on the Miami Heat. I got Heat. Heat. Houston Rockets versus the San Antonio Spurs. I'm going to go Rockets, question mark. All right, last but not least, we got the Denver Nuggets headed to Portland to face the Trailblazers. I'm going, I'll go Nuggets. I'm going Nuggets. I'm going Nakoda. Been balling. All right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Before we close this bad boy out, anything you'd like to say? Go Grizz, go Titans. Uh, I guess go Tigers. You know? Yeah. College, we're college basketball. College basketball, yeah. And uh, I I can't wait to see what Josh is going to look like. Me too. I think they're going to be dope. I mean, Nike, more times than I, gets it right with shoes. So we shall see. Um, Y'all know Baltimore. I want to beat the Steelers. I know I picked y'all to lose, but I want to beat the Steelers. I want to beat the Steelers bad. We haven't beaten them in two years. We got to change that this year, at least either with this game or the next game. Tyler Huntley, I'm rooting for you. Um... Lakers. I mean, we, we've been on a nice little tear. Of course, we, we lost last night. Uh, Spider didn't have to do us so disrespectfully, but it is what it is. I hope we get it together. And then Grizzlies, I mean, keep being the most fun team in the NBA to watch. Can't wait for everybody to get healthy, even though it's not going to be for a while. But, yeah. And go Tigers. Because, you know, I don't have any allegiance in college basketball, so I root for my Tigers. But, yeah, so thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.